0: As you interact with people. And so we're grateful that God's brought you into our community at this time and in this season. And we bless Him for that and bless you for being a part of us. So thank you so much. Thanks, Eric. Well, friends, uh, the season of Advent, as we've been talking about, is a season of waiting. Uh, a season of anticipation for things that are yet to come. And uh, in a lot of those times, uh, while we spend our time preparing our hearts and our homes and readying ourselves uh, for the coming of Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas, we also wrestle with that longing, that sense of that the world isn't as it should be Advent reminds us of those juxtapositions, the sense of light and the sense of darkness. It's one of the reasons why we light a candle traditionally. And this Advent season, we've been talking about the theme of peace. The angels declared peace on earth, goodwill to all. But what does that mean for us? What does it look like? And Rose's experience uh, reminds us that this very real tension that we experience around peace at Advent. Because as Rose is waiting for a fourth surgery, going to the mall, hearing all of these songs and carols, joyful excitement. People are happy and festive and bright, getting these Christmas cards of these well-put-together families that make everything look just so wonderful. But yet, Advent reminds us or forces us to be reminded of the fact that just because the angels declared peace on earth, goodwill to all, doesn't mean that all of our troubles and problems disappeared. Advent reminds us, as Rose reminded us in her story, that you don't have to pretend that everything is okay. So, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. May seem like an odd text for an advent message because in John chapter 14, this is the part of the story where Jesus is toward the end of his earthly life. And he's sitting down for a a celebration with his disciples. Maybe you're inclined to host a celebratory meal of some kind throughout the course of this season. And Jesus knows that the hour is drawing near for his departure, for his death. And his closest friends and his followers don't yet grasp this. They're not yet aware or attuned to this reality. And so Jesus spends the time in John chapter 13 predicting or warning them about what's coming. And he says not only about his departure, but he says this is going to create havoc for you relationally. There's going to be massive breakdowns in the fabric of his followers. One of them, he says, will betray him. And then even Peter, one of his closest friends, who just swore publicly that he would never deny Jesus, Jesus says, it's going to happen, Peter. You will deny me. So good news of great joy, which will be for all people, right? Jesus is reminding and giving them this sobering news And then Jesus in John 14 verse 1 offers what might be considered a very odd statement. Jesus says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, how could Jesus make such a statement in the midst of what he was about to endure, in the midst of what he had just spent all of this time telling his followers these horrific things that were going to happen. And then he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. It would be the equivalent of a coach in any sporting event saying, all right, gang, we're going to go out. We're going to get slaughtered at this one. But let's have a great game, (laughs) shall we? How could Jesus' followers receive this message of, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me, in the context of everything that Jesus had told them was going to happen? How can we receive in our day and time a word like this? In our world today, when we seek to follow Jesus... Last week, Peter Ash shared his story and talked about some of his personal experiences and the things that he had to wrestle with, and they were hard. And many of you are facing things that are challenging. And yet, how do you walk into brain surgery with a heart that is not troubled? Let's keep reading in John 14 because we're going to see that Jesus actually gives us as his followers three gifts for us to receive in order to be able to live into a place where our hearts are not troubled and our trust in God and in Christ remains no matter what the circumstances or our surroundings. Um, when, uh, sometimes when people are dating... When Meg and I were dating, we had uh, a time in our relationship that we had a long-distance relationship. I was living in Toronto at the time. She was from Vancouver Island. We met in college here uh, in Langley. And so we would spend these times apart. And sometimes, when you're apart in a relationship, you give the other person something to remember you by either a piece of clothing or you know a photo or something that they can kind of cling onto so that when you're not physically present with the other person there's something that you have that can remind you of their presence and so Jesus says this to his earthly followers he says i'm going away but i am leaving you a gift and the first gift that jesus promises To his followers in John chapter 14 is the guiding and empowering presence of God's Spirit. Let's look at John 14 starting in verse 16. Jesus says, watch for the Trinitarian language here, I will ask the Father and God will give you another advocate or a comforter or a encourager or a counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So Jesus says, I'm going away. But I'm going to leave you something, or more specifically, someone. And this is one of the most powerful promises of God to those who know God. That is that the person of the Holy Spirit, God is living in you to comfort, to encourage, to guide, to protect. The very presence and power of the Almighty indwells those who are part of God's family. This is the promise of Emmanuel, which means God with us. And New Testament scholar Rodney Whitaker writes about this passage that he says, this is not about the absence of troubles or problems, but the gift of calmness and comfort and confidence that comes from union with God, faith in God, Because of God's promises and because of God's presence. See, when Rose goes in to surgery, she can experience God's gift of peace. Not because there's nothing to be afraid of, or not because somehow she's been such a great person that she's earned it in some way, but rather she can experience God's gift of peace because The Holy Spirit dwells in her and can guide and guard her heart in mind and mind in Christ Jesus. This is the promise of God. It's a gift that God gives. And for each of the gifts, we talked two weeks ago about when someone gives you a gift, you have to receive it. Just because they give it to you doesn't mean that you have it. You have to actually reach out your hands and and receive it. And so, we need to consider our response to God's gift and God's promise of the Spirit. Because in John 14, Jesus promises that the wonderful counselor, the divine comforter, will never leave you, will guide you into all truth. And so, one of the gifts and promises that it says is that the Spirit will lead you into all truth, that God will guide you you, if you were open to it. So, the question to pause and ask is, are there any areas of your life that you need guidance in, that you need direction, that you feel a sense of, I'm not sure what way I should go, what I should do then particularly the promise of God to guide you or to lead you into God's truth and places of truth might be for you today. But you have to be open to receiving it. God may guide you to take steps of obedient faith and risk that are hard. God might guide you by the Spirit to ask for forgiveness for someone that you've wronged or to own up to a mistake that you've made, or someone that you've hurt. And you have to choose whether you want to press in and do that. Or maybe for you, you just feel like, as we get into this time, closing out another year, that you're reflective, but you're not sure about what 2020 is going to look like for you. There's some unknowns or some challenges. And maybe you need to set aside some extra time as we come into the end of December and get alone and say, God, I need this promise. I need you to guide me. I need a sense of your leading into truth. In areas of my life. And any and all of us as pastors or elders would be more than happy to help you learn to listen well. We've got resources we can give you for taking that posture. But we also are here to challenge you that when God, by God's Spirit, gives you something to do to help you walk it out and to say, remember when God said that to you, let's keep pressing into that. Let's continue to encourage each other in those things where we know what God's already invited us to do and let God continue to lead and guide us, not just individually, but also as a community. As we look into this next year, there'll be lots of opportunities for us to say, God, would you continue to guide us as a church family? So that's the first gift that Jesus says is going to be left with us the gift of God's guidance and God's presence so that our hearts don't need to be troubled or afraid. But there's a second gift that Jesus continues to describe, and it's closely related to the first one. Uh, the, the second gift is the, a loving revelation of God's heart. Look at John chapter 14, verses 21 and 23. Jesus says, those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them and I will reveal myself to each of them. And then Jesus continued in verse 23, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. We will make ourselves at home with each of them. Again, a powerful promise that God has given to us. And Christmas is one of those times where the theme of home comes up again and again and again. So let's just do a little exercise here. How many movie titles can you think of with the word home in them that are Christmas-related? Home Alone? Alone. Yeah, Home Alone 2, Home Alone 3. Yes, all of the Home Alones. Yes, yes, exactly. What else? Home, what else? Home for the holidays. Yeah, Home for Christmas. There's like about 15 billion Hallmark Channel movies that have the word home in them. Yeah, there's. What about songs? Can you think of songs, Christmas songs, that have the word home in the title? I'll be home for Christmas? Absolutely. What else? There's no place like home for the holidays. Yeah, exactly. What else? Now you're going to be listening for them on the radio all week. Like, oh, there's another song with home in it. Like, it's just, it's everywhere. Jared and I have an argument all the time. Our son, uh, he really likes Chris Ray's 1986 song, Driving Home for Christmas. I think it's the dumbest Christmas song in the last three decades because the person never actually arrives. They just keep driving home for Christmas, and all they see is taillights, and we're clearly unsure when the song concludes if they have indeed arrived. But... I digress. (laughs) The theme of home at Christmas, they kind of get linked together, don't they? Right now I'm reading a book called The Hospitable Leader, and in it, the author Terry Smith talks about uh, home isn't just a location, like physically, it's actually a feeling that you have. It's when you're at home in someone's presence or in a place, it means that they've opened up themselves, including their space, so that you feel comfortable, you feel at home with them, wherever they are. They, they're sharing their heart with you, you're sharing your heart with them. So home has that feeling of authenticity, and it's really one of the reasons why we've undertaken such a big renovation here in this space, is we actually want to create a space where when people from our community come in, they feel at home, they experience a sense of warmth and a sense of and we're getting there. We'll be there by the end of February. <laughs> little by little. Um, but it's, it's a part of what we want to do is offer hospitality to our neighborhood. Because when you're at home, you open up, you, you share when you feel at home. And that's what we want to do here in this space. And this is what Jesus is promising. He says, "We are going to come." and we're going to make our home with you and amongst you and in you, in your life. The voice translation paraphrases Jesus' words this way, I will love you and I will reveal my heart, my will, and my nature to you. I will come and be at home in your life, says Jesus. And for some of us, When we think about that, we think, that's a little bit of a scary proposition. God coming and being at home in my life. And some of us, probably when we think about that, think, there's some areas of my life I need to kind of keep out of God's reach. I'm going to close the doors to those rooms of the house And I might let God into some of my life, but not all of my life. Or maybe you just feel afraid because you know that there are things in your life that you don't want to reveal to God, areas that are secrets, areas that are deficient in some way, maybe areas of your life that you know wouldn't please God. Areas that you've let greed take root or maybe sexual sin or slander or disobedience or whatever. And sometimes we think to ourselves, we're keeping these things hidden so well that, yes, God, you can come into parts of my life. But the other parts, you know, I've got those things locked securely in the closet as if somehow God doesn't know about them. If we think about this strictly in human terms, if you or I are having people into our home, we usually spend a little bit of time cleaning it up a bit, trying to put some of the things, maybe our dirty dishes, stick them in the dishwasher, or, you know, stuff things under the bed, or whatever, uh, sweep things underneath, and we try to make the place presentable. But if Jesus is coming, or has come, and Jesus wants to make himself at home in your heart, what might be some of the barriers to that? Sometimes we think, oh, I need to clean myself up before I get and invite God to come and be a part of my life. But Jesus doesn't wait for that. Jesus wants to come to you right where you're at. With all of the mess, all of the things stuffed in your closet that you don't particularly want God or other people to see. But we also need to pay attention to the fact that just like your home, if your home is crowded, if your home is cluttered and messy, there is a barrier to welcoming people into that space. And so it also can become, Advent can be a good time for us to ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that needs some tidying up? Is there anything that might crowd out Christ or cause God to feel unwelcomed in my life? Just like there are things in your physical home that could make a guest feel uncomfortable if you had a pet python and they didn't like snakes, for example, There are sometimes things in our lives that we just need to get rid of in order to help other people feel comfortable and in order to allow Christ to dwell in us. And maybe today, or as you go through this season, God will be bringing something to your mind that needs attention. Something that needs to be not swept under a carpet somewhere, but fully swept out of your life. Something that you need to be rid of something that you need to actually acknowledge to God. And this is a process called repentance, where you say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want this in my life anymore. Would you, by your grace, sweep it out of my life and bring your forgiveness in? It's a deep clean of the soul and of the mind. And that's why we encourage people when we celebrate communion to take stock of their life. Before you come to the table and just pause and pray and ask God, God, is there anything in my life that just needs some tidying up, needs some cleaning up, needs to be swept out of my life altogether? So maybe spend some time doing that before you come to the communion table today. And the third gift that Jesus mentions in John chapter 14 is perhaps the most countercultural gift ever given. Jesus says in John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, I am going to leave you, but I'm leaving you with a gift, peace. Peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace that I give, the world cannot give. It has an entirely different quality to it, So do not be troubled, and do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives is a peace that the world cannot give. It is given in a way that the world cannot give, and it is of a quality or a caliber that the world cannot give. See, the world thinks about peace, and sometimes we think about peace in terms of, ah, all is calm, all is bright, smooth sailing, that's oftentimes what we mean when we think about peace. But that's not what Jesus promised, because remember, he's right in the middle of a description of his and his disciples' experience that is anything but peaceful and smooth sailing. Right after this promise of peace, Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested. He's sentenced to death. His disciples feel abandoned and afraid. They experience troubles and persecutions as they seek to follow him. And so the peace that Jesus is promising certainly cannot be for them or for us just a piece of smooth sailing, calm circumstances. But that's what makes Jesus' promise so powerful is he says, this is a gift from me to you. W.E. Sangster, a British Methodist preacher, wrote a Christmas article in Christianity Today in 1956 entitled, Can We Get Peace of Mind? And in the article, he says this, peace that can be destroyed in a moment, any morning, By a letter we receive, by the headlines in the newspaper, by a motorist's mistake or a doctor's diagnosis is too brittle a peace for this rough world. Peace that can begin only when all of our problems are solved will not begin on this earth. We have to learn to live with problems in ourselves, in society, and in the wider world. If we cannot have peace in a world of change and unresolved problems and possible disasters, we cannot have it at all. But yet Jesus promises we can because peace is a gift. It cannot be achieved. God gives it to those who give themselves to Him. Peace is a gift, gift of God's presence, gift of God's guidance, gift of God. And that's why Advent is such a powerful time for us as Christians, is we remind ourselves of the gifts that God has given to us. And those come to us as a result of the self-giving love that God demonstrated when Jesus set aside the security of heaven and stepped down into our broken world to bring the gift of wholeness and peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart. And that's why it's appropriate for us to celebrate communion during Advent. And one of the things that I want to remind us about communion is when we come to communion, we don't take communion. Sometimes we use that language, but it's a little bit of a misnomer. It's a little bit of inappropriate use of language because communion is a reminder of a gift. And so, again, when someone gives you a gift, you receive the gift. And so we receive communion. We don't take it or grab our grasp at it because what is offered to us and what we're celebrating is a gift. And when someone gives you a gift, your hands are outstretched and opened to receive it. So the worship team is going to come and lead us in two closing songs, and the servers are going to move to the communion stations At this time and indicate to them uh, if you would like to receive a gluten-free option for the bread and the bread represents that gift that Jesus offered to us he offered his own body crucified buried resurrected for your hope and for your salvation and so if you would like to receive the gift and celebrate the gift that Jesus offered to us. You can simply hold out your hands and Steve or Allie or Sylvia and Denise will will give it to you. And holding out your hands is just a simple way of saying with your body what it is that you want to say with your heart. Jesus, in humility, I am receiving this gift, the gift of your body broken for me. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm leaving you with this gift, gift a peace of mind and a peace of heart. And so as you respond to Christ's gift today, maybe for you, you need to say and think about, is there an area in your own life where you are troubled, where you are afraid? Anything that when you think about it, that sense of anxiety and fear that, can sometimes overwhelm us, creeps up. And maybe today you need to receive the gift of a person or a church community to stand with you and to walk through that situation. And so that's why we have our prayer team available today. Pastor Wally's at the back, and Meg and myself will be at the back there. And we're willing and able to stand with you in prayer if you would like or to celebrate with you. And so I'd invite you, if you're able, to stand with me. The communion tables are open. When you feel like your heart is in a place of readiness, you're more than welcome to move to the side. And our practice here at Jericho is you can receive the elements and then move back to your seat and partake of them there. You don't need to wait in any way. And as we stand and as we come to the table, hear the declaration from colossians chapter 3 where christ says the peace of christ that comes from christ will rule it will govern and reign in your hearts for as members of one body you were called to live in peace